0: our Father, the Father, that your word says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, our Father, who art in heaven, lead us and guide us to know you and love you more, this Lord's day, this Father's day, amen. We have a good Father, a loving Father, a rescuing Father, don't we? As we were planning for the sermon calendar and Exodus was coming to an end last week, Clint asked me if I would be interested in preaching on Father's Day. And as someone who loves Father's Day, because I have a great dad, and because I have great children and love fatherhood, and the fact that I get to participate in it, and Father's Day is a day that reminds me of all of this and that I get to be a part of it, I said, yes, Father's Day would be a great time to preach because Father's Day and father as a role for the Christian, it's, it's different, it's, we're unique, we're set apart in how we view this role than the rest of the world does. Not that we do much different from other fathers. We love and we protect and we instruct and we care and we provide for our children just as any father born under the sun should do. But how we view even the name of father is different. Perhaps as a Christian, you may not have ever known your father. As Luke prayed, sin and brokenness has entered into everything and even in the family. And so perhaps a Christian may not know his or her father. Perhaps it would have been better to have not known their father. And some here, sadly, may be nodding your head with this. And hurting in your heart. But regardless of how absent or harmful or disappointing a Christian's earthly father may have been or still may be, the Christian has a heavenly father. Perfect in every way. Defender like no other. One who will fight for you. Provider for all we need. Everything in abundance. A type of love given by the Father that just a list of words can't do justice to describe. But it's a love that seeks and works. It's a love that lifts up and is compassionate and affectionate, forgiving and generous. A love that rejoices in us and with us. And this is what I wanted to talk about. My Father, our Father who art in heaven... I wanted to hollow his name this morning. So, of course, the text we would all naturally go to to talk about fatherhood is in Luke 15, the parable of the woman in the lost coin. A classic fatherhood tale. (laughs) Open up your Bibles to Luke 15. Our Father's love is a rescuing love, church. Our Father's love is a rescuing love, and and if you are here this morning and you pray as Jesus instructed us to pray and say, our Father who is in heaven, and you do so as a child of that Father, then you have known and you have experienced the rescuing love of the Father. This morning, I hope to remind you of His love for you, be it a comfort or a new courage or just childlike joy hear about his love. If you are here this morning and you do not know our Heavenly Father, if you are unfamiliar with his rescuing love, then I hope and I pray that your ears will be open to hear about his love. And let me tell you now, there is nothing more precious to your heart than the true and living eternal love of the Heavenly Father. I actually came to Luke 15 because of the story of the prodigal son, where a wayward son, or really two wayward sons, find themselves loved by an incredible father. Jesus is telling this story to explain a little bit about the love that he has and that the father has for sinners. And when you get to Luke 15, you find out that Jesus is actually telling three stories, three parables, back to back to back all in response to an accusation that has been levied against him. And these three stories, they work together to give us a fuller picture, a more vivid picture and image the love God has for us. Now, the purpose of Jesus telling these three stories in a row comes from a conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees in the first few verses. See, the Pharisees in these verses, they accuse Jesus of something, something horrid, something shameful, something that somehow, in their estimation, is out of place for a holy man such as Jesus claimed to be. What they said about Jesus is completely unbefitting for a man of God, a prophet of God, if they only knew of the Son of God in their minds. They bring reproach. They bring accusation. They are shocked by this thing, and they attempt to define Jesus by it. But what they meant for evil, he would use for good. They had no idea that the thing they thought should bring him the most shame, that should be hidden from others to see, that should never be spoken, they had no idea that that particular thing was what Jesus gloried in, what he came for, and what he will eternally be known for. And it is this He welcomes sinners, He is a friend to them. He receives them, he eats with them, he pursues them and they follow him. The lowly, the dirty, spiritually filthy, unworthy, the outcast. Luke 15, first couple verses says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They are not paying him compliments, they are disgusted by his actions. The Pharisees, the Pharisees are hoping that this weird infatuation that he has with the lowly would take him down and lead him to the grave so that they could glory over him. They had no idea that this weird infatuation he has with the lowly would take him down and would lead him to the grave but that he would go willingly so that he would glory over all. Jesus here does not hide. He does not shirk away from their disappointment and their disapproval. He flies the flag about it. Jesus takes their accusations in stride, and he responds with these three parables. And here's the point of the parables. You're upset. By this social friendliness that I have going on with these sinners, that I receive them and eat with them, you have no idea about the length and the depth and the breadth of love that I and my Father have for them. You are appalled that I eat with them. Let me show you how great my love is for them. Let me paint a picture or three for you about the love that I have for sinners. So what I want us to do now is to enter into these three parables together, looking at what Jesus is pointing us towards, mainly this, a remarkable rescuing love that God the Father has for us. So I'm gonna read these three stories here in Luke 15, and then we'll discuss. Luke 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, parable number one. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Story number two, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Story three. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired him out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger?' And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Stories of love can be moving. To see someone's love and devotion to another can lift you up. It can stir something within. It's why on this Father's Day afternoon, My children, my wife, and myself will leave here. We'll go home, we'll have lunch, and we'll do what we do every Father's Day. Watch William Goldman's The Princess Bride. (laughs) A cinematic masterpiece. (laughs) story told with wit and charm. A story of true love, the greatest story ever told on screen. And a good story, a good story can wrap you up in it. A good story can capture you and and sweep you away. It's very powerful. The very effect of hearing about one's love for another is very powerful to the human heart. Even if it doesn't have to do with you, the simple idea of love is so innately valued in us that it moves us. These stories of love that Jesus tells concerning the father and the sinner are uplifting and they're stirring. Oh, to be like that sheep that's pursued with such intentionality. Oh, to be like that coin that is sought and found and celebrated over. Oh, to be that son so unworthy, so ruined, so destitute yet ran to, embraced, kissed, wrapped with the finest things and celebrated with music, food, and dancing. Friends, family, my children, this story is ours. Do not simply be entertained this morning by Jesus's telling of a love story that belongs to someone else. Be overcome by the telling of a love story that belongs to you. The Father's love is a rescuing love. As a father, Father's Day is is perhaps my favorite holiday. And my hope is that on Father's Day for as long as possible that my children will come close, draw near to me, and be reminded of my love for them. Now this morning I'm going to say 10 things about God's love that are found in these three stories. And my hope is that today on this Lord's day, on this Father's day, that we children will come close to the Father, draw near and be reminded of his love for us. The first thing from these stories that we see about God's rescuing love is that his love is a seeking love In verse 3, so he told him this parable. He says, what what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And then verse 8, he says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? The father seeks because his creation has wandered Isaiah 53 tells us this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The sinner is all of us. We are separated from the Father because of our sinful nature and our sinful wills. And the predicament is bleak. The predicament of those separated from the Father is bleak. When I was in Eastern Europe, I remember there were children that were set up to beg downtown in the city square, on a mat, with an instrument, or singing a song, all by themselves, as young as the ages of four or five. And you'd walk by them. And they would be all alone and abandoned, no protection, no provision, no necessary intimate care. I eventually learned that not too far off was a parent who was watching, who was keeping their eye on him or her. They wanted to give the impression of desperation so that people would have compassion and give. They wanted to give the impression of a bleak, dangerous life while maintaining a level of safety and security, a blanket of protection over the child. But when we sinned against God in the garden, we left our father completely. We have strayed away from the shepherd, like the sheep. We have been lost in the darkness, covered in dirt, like the coin. We have taken what we can get our grubby hands on and fled to a faraway country to live recklessly, like the sun. We are the little child in poverty sitting on a mat. But there is no blanket of protection. The predicament of those who are absent from the Father is bleak. But God the Father's love is a seeking love. It's a seeking love that is a working and sacrificial love. That's the second thing I want us to see is that his love is working and sacrificial. He pursues those that are his. He comes and gets them. God's love for his children is not a waiting around type of love. One is gone. So the 99 are left in the open field and he goes after the one until he finds it. All that needs to be done for as long as it is needed to be done is done until he finds it. As the shepherd in this parable goes after the lost sheep, the good shepherd, Jesus was sent by God the Father to come and get us. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He pursues those that are his. He works in pursuit of them. He works like the woman who lights a lamp and sweeps the house and searches diligently until she finds the coin. Jesus did all that was necessary to find us in the darkness and rescue us, into his marvelous light. He was the true light that could light up the darkness. Death could not hold him. Darkness could not hide us any longer. His bright glory pierced through sin's darkness like a lamp in a hovel when he defeated sin and death on the cross. His love is a seeking love, and it's a working and sacrificial love. Third, his love is a lifting up love. In verse five, he finds the sheep and he lifts it up onto his shoulders. It says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And there's something powerful about the imagery here. The lost sheep wandering and dumb, far away from the herd, impossible to get back on its own, stubborn and hard-headed, Desperate for a good shepherd to seek him out and rescue him. The shepherd finds him. He bends over and he picks him up and carries him home. The Lord does the work. He finds and then he lifts up. He is our salvation. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 30 says, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. The Lord lifts up and carries us home. And in verse 8, she lit the lamp and she swept the floor The coin was in darkness, it was hidden in dust, but she finds it there in the dirt. God is a lift up out of the dirt type of God. And that's the testimony all of us have. In Psalm 40, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Apart from the Father, we wallow in the deep downs. But He hears our cries from the pit of despair. Those who belong to Him, He hears us and He comes and He pulls us out and He cleans us off and He sets us on the rock. Real rescue for lost people. It's a rescuing love and I want you to ask yourself, have you been rescued? Do you realize how bleak your circumstance is apart from the Father? Has He rescued you? Have you tasted and experienced the love of the Father who seeks and finds and lifts up? A rescuing love. Number four, His love is also an expectant love. His love is an expectant love. Verse 20, going to the story of the prodigal son. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father in the story was looking for his son's return. He was expectant. Our sovereign God is not just hopeful that those who are his will come to him. He is expectant because the work has already been done. Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, has already paved the way home back to the Father. And his grace, his grace is irresistible. His love is an expectant love. His love is a compassionate love. Number five, his love is a compassionate love. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and he felt compassion. If God's heart was hard towards those who are his, then we would have no hope. If he was a bitter God, a hard father, all hope would be lost. But he is a God of compassion and his compassion was seen in his son when he was on earth. In Matthew 9, verse 36, it says about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because because their outlook was bleak, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God has love that is a compassionate love. Number six is love is an affectionate love. The father's love is an affectionate love. When he saw his son, the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father saw him and he ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him. Love can sometimes look different when it comes from different people, I think. I was recently at the swimming pool for my kids swim practice. There was a young boy there, very young, who did not want to swim. He knew how well enough, I guess, but he did not want to. He did not tell me this, but I assume he didn't want to because of his many tears and his many screams as his father picked him up, walked him over to the side of the pool, and threw him in. (laughs) Tough love, I guess. A father should be masculine, a father should be a man, but a father should not be cold, and he should not be hard of heart. And when the prodigal son is seen by his father, the heart of the father breaks open and he pours out warm affection in the mode of hugs and kisses on his grown son. A pat on the back may have done it. A firm handshake perhaps would have been adequate. But no, no. Not in a story that describes God and his affection for his children. That would not have done. That just won't do it. He isn't that type. God's love For his children, oh, it's warm. It's tender. It's filled with emotion and affection. His love is an affectionate love. We're not his bros. We're his children. He doesn't dap us up. He embraces us with hugs and kisses. Number seven, his love is a forgiving love. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. See, the Son comes to the Father the only way we can come to the Father. Humbled and repentant. But his plea, his bargain, his his arrangement where he might come in as a servant, it was ignored by the Father. You notice that? The Father had none of that. Because remember the whole scheme that he had concocted a few verses before where he said, life could be better if I just ate like the servants ate. That was never on the table for the father. The moment he saw his son, that was never an option. The son's pre-rehearsed deal was interrupted and completely ignored by the father. And the son here is halfway through his speech of self-abasement when the father cuts him off and tells the servant to get the fattened calf ready for the meal. And this is not an accident. It's normally not polite to interrupt. It's usually not kind to ignore. But when someone's little wave of groveling is getting in the way of a pure undefiled tsunami of forgiveness, it's all right to skip to the end and move on. And so the father cuts short the son. Because the son's back and he's got a party to arrange. When the father explained it to the older son at the end of the story, he said this in verse 32, he says this For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. To the father, both in this story and to our heavenly father, there is dead and there is alive. There is no mostly dead. You're lost or you're found. The son, the son thought he might slip in quietly into his father's house as an unworthy servant. Oh no. He would be unworthy, all right. There's no unworthy, not even one in the father's house. But when he came in, He would not slip in quietly. He would come in with music and eating and drinking and rejoicing as a son. God's love is a forgiving love. Hear this, children. God's love is a forgiving love. It's absolute forgiveness. It's complete. It doesn't ever come just in part. It does not cover just a little. It doesn't do enough to make one a servant, but not a son. John says that from his fullness, Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Grace that is able to cleanse within. Grace that's made possible because of the blood of Christ. He forgives fully because the blood of Christ has ransomed us fully when you are bought out of your sin. You are not bought with perishable things, such as silver or gold. Perishable things, such as silver or gold, might make you a servant in the house of the Father. But you are not bought with such things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Somebody say, I'm a son, not a servant. And it's because of His love is a forgiving love his love is a forgiving love and his love is a generous love oh so generous in the parable half or or maybe a third depending on how you interpret it of what belonged to the father had been given to and wasted by the youngest son but when he comes back the best of what the father has left is given to him think of the generosity lavished out onto his son. The best robe, a ring for his hand, shoes for his feet. Our Father's love is a generous love. It's why the psalmist says, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. It's why Paul says at the beginning of Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he does not give sparingly to his children. His love is a generous love. Number nine, his love is a rejoicing love. His love is a rejoicing love. Now we see this in all three of the stories. So I'll read each part from the first story, verse 6. And when he comes home, after getting the sheep, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then in the second story, in verse 9, And when she has found it, the coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then in the third story, verse 23, the father says, And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. Here are the parts of the story where Jesus is really sticking it to the Pharisees. I don't just eat with them. I don't just welcome in those people. Heaven itself bursts with joy at the coming in of one of them. There is much rejoicing in heaven when one comes home and the Father's love is poured out. Have you ever had an event or an occasion or maybe just a person and you want to do something for them because of an outflow of affection for them? You're almost reckless in your spending. You forget that oppressive idea of a budget. You throw off the chains of responsibility. Lavish, grand, regal, over the top, spare not for cost, Shakespeare's Capulet said. If you haven't and you're related to me, today is the perfect occasion to give it a try. (laughs) But just as the son was reckless with his spending when he left the father, the father was reckless with his spending when the son came home. Oh, his love is an extravagant, rejoicing love. What should we make of the constant rejoicing that Jesus points out in these parables? Because there is not great worth in one out of a hundred sheep. Not even in one out of ten coins. Why so much rejoicing? Jesus is communicating something clearly to us. He's communicating the exceeding value of one soul in the sight of our God one sheep, one coin, one son, one sinner that is sought out, lifted up, brought home, and celebrated. It's why C.S. Lewis said, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Everyone you pass by on the street, that you drive by on the corner of the intersection, that you meet at an elderly care facility, or that you can only see through an ultrasound at the doctor's office, anyone you might meet through work or play in life, they have a soul and the soul has exceeding value. And every time one of those God-made souls is brought home through faith in Jesus Christ, rejoicing. Jesus keeps stepping out of the stories to make this clear. Over one sinner who repents, there is joy before the angels of God. His love is a rejoicing love. And his love, finally, his love is the love of a father. One thing that we all share in this room, those in the back who are warm and can't hear me well, those in the front who are cold and can hear me too well, those among us who are a bit long in the tooth, and those who are still wet behind the ears, rich, poor, Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, Regardless of your generation or culture or circumstance, there is something that we all share. It's that difficult to define human longing, to belong, to be loved. One might say, to be at home with our Father. It's in us all. We're all made to long for home. We're all made to long to be that son that the father rushes out to and embrace. We have no way to get there. We had no way to get home. John 1 verse six says, there was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now the true light which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Luke said in his prayer, your father may have left you But our heavenly Father will bring you home. Oh, wow. This story can be our story. All of us in this room. The warmth of a father's compassion. The the grip of his loving embrace. The depth of his unending forgiveness. The eternal riches that he lavishes on his children. And a place in his home that he gives to those who are his. When Jesus was heading towards the cross and leaving his disciples behind... He said this to, him, to them. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? There is one primary application I hope we can all take from this. Hearing about the love of the father. Love him. Our father. Love him because he first loved us. Love him because he has loved us with a rescuing love. But I also have a word for fathers on this day. A few things to mention for fathers in conclusion. And the first is this realize the privilege that you have, fathers. You have been given a title that the Lord God took for himself. He has given it to you, a responsibility that is his by nature that you've obtained in part through nature, an example that he gives us as the father from whom all fatherhood is named that we can follow in. This is a serious task. There is much responsibility and much importance, but much joy. It is a privilege and it is a gift to be called father. Realize your privilege, fathers. Do not let the days and weeks and months and years pass without being a kind and generous and compassionate and forgiving father. Also be a father like the father. Fathers, be a father like the father. A father is meant to live a life that points to the father. Oftentimes we don't, but we're meant to. Live a life that points to the father. A quote from Robert Fulgham says to fathers, don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they're always watching you. (laughs) Live a life as a father that points to the father. So your children won't have the testimony, yes, my father was this, but at least I have a a loving Heavenly Father. Love them and point them to the Heavenly Father. And third, fathers, reproduce the praise of your children for your Heavenly Father. One thing that I cherish in my heart about my children's upbringing was something that used to happen when I had a loud and noisy truck and I'd be coming home, and they could hear me coming from down the street. And as they heard the rumbling and grumbling of my truck's engine, they would stop what they were doing. They would leave it behind, and they would sprint out to meet me as I came around the road. Joy in their faces, delight in their eyes, and they'd jump up into the cab with me. Fathers, you get the opportunity to experience Someone delighting and finding joy just in your presence. Turn and delight and find joy in the presence of God the Father. Reproduce that love. A few weeks ago, we had the El Clasico soccer match. The winners of the El Clasico were given a winner's medal. This was a medal made of solid gold colored plastic. <laughs> and the winners all received one around their, their neck and, and Will Mack gave his to, to his daughter and she was walking around the parking lot holding this medal. Eyes bright, a smile on her face. Look what my daddy won for me. She walked up to Pastor Luke. so was unfortunately on the losing end of the <laughs> of the match, but she walked up to him, bright eyes, sparkling. She looked up to him and said, Pastor Luke, where's your medal? (laughs) Her father put her up to it. But that we would even learn from our children's admiration of us. The way that they delight in the things that we have won for them. That we would delight in the things that God has won for us. That we would live life walking around with the medal of righteousness that Christ won. With eyes shining. Walking up to strangers who don't have it, not in a cruel way, but in a compassionate way and say, where's yours? Because it's available. That we would reciprocate the love of of our children towards our Heavenly Father. So fathers and mothers and, and children, may we look to our Heavenly Father. May we delight in Him. May we be comforted by Him. Remembering that He is our good and loving Father. A Father who has sought us and bought us and lifted us out. Covered us with generosity and compassion and affection. And may our hearts grow warm even today as we remember our good and loving Father. Let's pray together. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named